0: Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter, chapter 2. We're going to actually finish the second chapter. Well, my wife did make it to Poland this morning. Half the team made it to Poland. The other half and all the luggage is still in London, but it'll get there. (laughs) It happens. They actually only had an hour between their flight arriving in London and leaving London, which is cutting it pretty close. So, last week we started in verse 13, we're going to have three examples of people living under authority, and our responsibilities in each of those relationships. Last week we talked about the government, honoring the emperor, honoring the governors, what we were supposed to do. And we ended up talking about freedom and what that means. It tells us we are free. We are free from the law as a mechanism of salvation. But, Peter tells us, don't use your freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do. We talked last week about the fact we don't like this idea. We don't like today the whole idea of authority. The fact that someone has the right to tell us what to do is very much against our modern mentality. So if you thought that one was bad, just wait till today. Because today's lesson is gonna start off talking about servants and masters. But that's not really what the lesson is about. The lesson is really about what if the person who is exercising authority over you is not a nice guy? What if they are unjust to you? What happens then? And the observation is going to be, you're going to suffer. And guess what? That's okay. And if our understanding of authority is very much in question in today's world, we as 21st century Americans hate the whole idea of suffering. The fact that suffering itself can produce in us something better is alien to our thinking. I am convinced that most of us are convinced that God wants us to be happy all the time. That somehow God owes us a life without pain and suffering. Well, I would contend that most of us are old enough to know that's not going to happen. We have been through the suffering. We have been through the problems. But somehow in the back of our minds, we think somehow God let me down because he allowed the suffering to happen. And people that are younger than some of us still hold on to this idea that somehow life is supposed to be free of suffering. So he's going to talk about our suffering, and then he's going to give the example of suffering, and that is Jesus Christ Suffering on our behalf to provide us with salvation. So that's where we're going today. To begin, let's just talk about suffering. One of the most common arguments against Christianity is the discussion about the problem of evil. Why do bad things happen to us? There was a famous book years ago. I've talked about it in here before. Why do bad things happen to good people? It was written by a uh, Jewish guy whose son had a horribly wretched disease. I mean, it was really bad. And you have great sympathy for him. And he discussed what is known as the problem of evil, God is all-powerful. God is good. If God is all-powerful and God is good, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Because if God is good, he doesn't want the pain and suffering. And If God is all-powerful, he can stop it. Therefore, one of those two statements has to not be true. And in the book the Jewish teacher reached the conclusion that God is good, but he is not all-powerful. Because he didn't want to live in a world where God wasn't good. So if you have to give one up, that's the one he was going to give up. Do you remember at the end of the book of Job? Job has been, I mean, this horrible suffering, and his buddies show up and they spend 50 chapters chastising him. Come on, dude, you did something wrong, repent and God will forgive you. And Job says, nope, I didn't do anything wrong, I'm okay. And then God shows up. Do you know what God does? Two chapters of asking Job questions. Where were you when the world was created? Do you know how to stop the Leviathan? And the Jewish author of the book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, takes that passage and says, when God is asking Job, can you stop the Leviathan, God is saying, I can't do it either. Because he did not want to give up the goodness of God. The problem of evil revolves around, if God is good and God is all-powerful, why do bad things happen? We know the answer is sin, but why did God allow that? And here's the observation that has to be made that we don't necessarily like. God is trying to accomplish something in our lives that requires that we have, well, the ability to choose. And if we have the ability to choose, we have to have the ability to choose wrong. And if we choose wrong, there's going to be consequences. So Adam and Eve sinned. Creation itself began to produce thorns. Cancer came into existence. Pain and suffering became part of everyday life. Now, we can talk about heaven, and that will be removed. The tears will be wiped away and that will be great. But between now and heaven, between the Garden of Eden and heaven, your work is going to be painful. There's going to be thorns. There's going to be weeds. There's going to be ch- pain in childbirth. There's going to be pain and suffering. And I think it's interesting because people act as if the problem of evil is a huge negative against Christianity. It's actually a problem of any worldview, any religion, any, anything has to explain why there is pain and suffering. It's society's fault. It's those people's fault. It's somebody else's fault. It couldn't be mine. But Christianity tells us that through suffering, Jesus Christ saved fallen human beings. So we know that suffering can be redemptive. Suffering can bring a good. Suffering is not good, but it can bring about that which is good. Remember, Romans chapter 8, and we know that all things work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The passage does not say all things are good. It doesn't say that. It simply says that God can use those to accomplish his purpose. And what is his purpose? To conform us to the image of Christ. And sometimes conforming us to the image of Christ requires pulling out parts of us that we don't, well, that don't fit. But we cling to as part of our sin nature. So when we talk about evil in the world, we talk about, uh, well, physical disasters. We talk about diseases. We talk about a lot of things. Today, we're going to deal with one piece of that. And that one piece is someone who is in authority over us who is acting unjustly and causing suffering. That's the only piece. We could talk about all the other pieces, but today we're only going to deal with one. So, picking up in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, we today tend to use this passage to talk about employer-employee relationships. And I'll buy that, I'll take that. The word servant here could be slave, but it is probably someone, could be a slave, but of a higher level who lives in the household Who manages the household and is under the authority of the owner of the house? He is a servant. And the observation is very clear servants, servants, obey, be subject to your masters in all respect. Now, I know you want to have a discussion about what all respect means. Well, the answer is everything. But, in the same way that last week when we talked about the government, we are to obey the government, unless the government tells us to do something that violates the word of God. When Paul was told by the government official, do not preach the gospel, Paul just said, we have to obey God rather than man. But with that exception, we are to obey the government. Now, we did have a discussion last week. I talked about Stuart last week, Kathy, about the fact that he gave this presentation regarding government and that under our form of government, we are the source of authority. But we do still have governors and et cetera that we are to Respect and give honor to. So, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. You would love for every boss that you ever had in your entire life Every boss that your kids have, every boss that your grandchildren have, you would like them to be good and gentle. That's the right answer. Just out of curiosity, how many of you at some point in your life had a boss that was good? Okay. How many of you had a boss that was unjust? Okay. That's the experience of most of us. I had lots of bosses. Some of them were good. A lot of them were just average. A couple of them weren't. Now, they didn't beat me. They didn't cuss me out. But they didn't treat me well and gently. So here's the question. What do you do with the one that is not good and gentle? I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You go find another job. To heck with that person, and off you go. That's the modern mentality. In my life, I have recalled one sermon that I've heard on this passage that contradicted that. And I thought it was kind of interesting. It was a sermon given to singles. um, And he just said, you know what? If God tells you to leave, then you leave. Okay? But if God doesn't tell you to leave, he's trying to teach you something in that position, whatever it is. I had a boss for a while that just wasn't very good, okay? He just wasn't. But, you know, I had a job in that position, and I know exactly what my job was. I had 12 employees under him, and my job was to keep him away from them. (laughs) It really was. He didn't know that, but they knew that. That was my job. Can we accept the fact that God wants to teach us something that may require us submitting, being under the authority of someone who is unjust? I hate that idea. Let's keep going. For this is a gracious thing, When, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. And just to make sure, he throws in the next passage, for what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? If you're suffering because you're doing something wrong, there's no credit in that. Okay? You did wrong you got punished. You can't say, ah, woe is me. It's all your fault. But what if you're doing the right thing and you're still suffering? How unfair is that? Why doesn't God just fix it? Is he not good or is he not all-powerful? That's the question. And the answer is, God has something that he's trying to teach you. Backing up to the previous verse. For this is a gracious thing. This is good. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures Sorrows while suffering unjustly. What is a gracious thing? Well, the word is actually grace. This is a thing of grace. <clears throat> we happy with this yet? James 1, 2 to 4. Count it all joy. Is this guy nuts? (laughs) Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Romans 5, 3, and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Back up to chapter 1 of 1 Peter. "'In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, "'if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials.' so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold and silver, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a gracious thing when you, being mindful of God, What does it mean to be mindful of God? I am enduring this for God's sake. I am enduring this because God is trying to accomplish something in my life. I am enduring this with my mind on God. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. When you're in the midst of suffering, what are you focused on? This is an easy question. The suffering, okay? I sliced my hand moving furniture at my daughter's three weeks ago. And you know what, it hurt. And what did I do? I thought about the hurt. We just do that. I can prick you with a pen and you'll spend the rest of this class thinking about that hole in your finger. That's what we do. What does he tell us to do? Being mindful of God. We endure suffering. Unjust suffering. Suffering that we don't think that we should have to put up with. If God is good and God is all-powerful, why? And he has the audacity to tell us it is a means of grace. It is a gracious thing. There's two ways of looking at that gracious thing. One is that it, well, it earns us credit. We are told that we will receive rewards, not salvation rewards. That's done through the finished work of Jesus Christ. But the second way of looking at it is that God will give you the grace to endure the unjust suffering. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is, same word, gracious thing in the sight of God. Yes, Bill. Bill. Uh uh-huh. In a lot of situations, you've got to take action. You've got to move towards some type of resolution. Why? Because I, that's just the way things are. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, you don't, to, you don't have to lose all the time. I Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm being obnoxious. His question is good. His question is, he's giving us this passage... But shouldn't you move towards something to resolve the problem? Isn't that what we do? Your boss is an unjust jerk. What do you do? You go talk to his boss. You go talk to HR. You do something to stop the pain. And we do that. And I will, I will tell you, I will tell you, do whatever you can do Within your ability. But having said that, the passage here is about what you can learn in the suffering. And that's what I have trouble seeing. I want the pain to go away. God wants to teach me something in the pain but I really want the pain to go away. And I focus my thinking and my thought on getting the pain to go away. Now, back to last week's lesson. We do have the ability to influence our institutions. We can vote, we can campaign, we can do stuff, and we should do that. within the ability that God has given us. But you know what? Even if you don't have the ability to do that, if you live in a country where you don't have those rights, you are still to be mindful of God and honor the emperor. We want the pain to stop. Yes, Bill? Let me answer that question. (laughs) Here it comes. Let's keep reading. But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the eyes of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And here it comes. Forget you, we're talking about Jesus. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. You ready for this? Here is the answer to Bill's question. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We're talking about another human being being unjust toward you. What is your number one first option? Bill said it. We want to fight back. They're reviling us, we're gonna revile back. And it's very clear he tells us not to do that. (sighs) He committed no, no. When he was reviled, he did not revile. When he suffered, He did not threaten. Why? Why did he not do that? I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, I'm Jesus, God. They start nailing nails into my hands, I'm calling down angels. And these people are toast. And you know what? Even if... I, I, I'm a good guy. I know that I'm saving all humanity. I'll let them drive the nails in my hands. I die and I come back to life. Then I'm calling down the angels. <laughs> Somebody's going to pay. At the end of the day, the person has to pay. And here's what Jesus knew, and we sometimes forget. but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. There is going to be judgment. At the end of the day, at the end of eternity, at the end of this world, the God who judges justly is going to judge justly. And Jesus is saying, this isn't my problem. There are unjust people doing unjust things to you, and you can't stop them. I'm assuming you can't stop them, okay? What are you going to do? You're going to revile them? You're going to threaten? No, Jesus didn't do that. You're going to acknowledge that God is going to just to judge justly. Now, I want to back up, though, for just one second. Go ahead, Javan. Um, what about um, some people, you don't revile, you don't deride. but what, what about stopping, making fun of, you're, you're not hating on them, you're <laughs> threatening them. But it is a way of fighting back things. Yeah, that's reviling them. It's belittling them. With humor. And you think it's okay because you're doing it with humor. Yeah. It's okay, I'm just making a joke of you. Okay. You know, it's the old thing, it's nothing personal. Well, whenever anybody says that, it usually means it's personal. Okay. But here's the thing that I want you to think about. He trusted God who is going to judge Justly. And so I know my thinking on this, you know. I'm enduring this suffering. I'm enduring it. But I know that God's going to zap them, and I'm so happy about that. What did Jesus do? He is sitting there hanging on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them. Jesus, if ever there was a human being, because Jesus was God and humanity, if ever there was a human being who suffered unjustly, it was Jesus. Back up. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you let me just stop right there. He suffered for you. He suffered for me. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. There's a famous book entitled In His Steps. Any of you ever read that book? The rest of you ought to go read it, okay? It's probably dated as far as its examples and things, but this pastor is moved by this, essentially a homeless guy, and uh, to ask himself in every situation, what would Jesus do? That's why today we have the little WWJD bracelets. That was 100 years ago. And he wrote this book, About following in his steps. But we forget sometimes that this passage, follow in his steps, is dealing with one topic. And what is that topic? Enduring suffering. We are to endure suffering just like Jesus did. Remember, this church that that Peter is writing to is beginning to experience tribulation, trials, hard times, suffering. And Peter is telling them, be like Jesus. He has given us an example of how we are to handle ourselves when the person in authority over us is unjust. That is the example, and we are to walk in the same steps that Jesus showed us. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Memorize the next verse. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. We have discussions today. You know, Jesus was a great guy, but he was just a guy. <coughs> no, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. He was the sacrifice that provided our salvation. And to do that, he could not die for his own sins. He never Sin, neither in word or in deed, ever. Theologically, that's really, really important. The whole salvation thing falls apart if that's not true. But in this case, in this case... You know, I've got an unjust boss, but you know, the truth is, sometimes I'm a little lazy, and sometimes, somewhere in there, I probably contributed to the problem. Maybe, I don't know. Did I tell you the pithy saying I read several months ago? I really liked it. Um, You know, if you run into a jerk every two or three months, well, there's jerks out there. If you run into a jerk every week, you're probably the jerk. You know, I can sit here in my introspective mood thinking, okay, I'm not being what I, would, I need to be. Okay? Jesus doesn't have that problem. Jesus never sinned, and they killed him. Remember that. But what did he not do? He didn't fight He didn't revile. I mean, you know what happens, right? Your boss is a jerk. And you know what? You're you're polite to the jerk. I mean, the boss. But you know, you go home, and you start talking to your family and your friends, and you know what you tell your family and your friends? He's a jerk! So you're not reviling him to his face, but you're hardly showing honor and respect for him. Okay? Okay. You know, we've got our limits, right? Jesus gave an example that we should follow in his steps. He committed no. when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not, not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Who did Jesus trust? The answer is God. You ready for this? Who are we supposed to trust? And the answer is God. And here's the question. The church to whom Peter is writing, beginning to experience persecution, It's like that cut on my hand. That's what I want to think about. That's what I want to get rid of. That's what is important to me. And God says, trust. Trust God. Jesus told God, I don't want to do this. If it is possible, but not my will, but thy will be done. And you know what? I don't know about you, but that's real hard for me. I want to go on television and tell the world what a jerk my boss is. I want revenge. I want the pain to go away. And we hear that God, that Jesus, entrusted himself to God. He himself bore our sins in his body. Okay? This is the doctrine of salvation. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Okay, don't memorize that other verse. Memorize this one. In the Jewish sacrificial system, The sins of the people were put onto that lamb. That lamb was slaughtered. The blood was spread. And that was a picture of what was to come with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who never committed a sin in word or deed, takes our sin upon himself to take the penalty that we ought to have. You have an unjust boss. Guess what? Justice says the wages of sin is death. Aren't you really glad that God gave us mercy and not justice? The sin of humanity was put on Jesus Christ. Why? He bore our sins in his body that we might die to sin. I am crucified with Christ. I am dead to the penalty of sin. Now, Peter still tells them, don't live according to the flesh. Our flesh still wants to rise up and say, I've still got these habits. I like doing what I want to do. And Peter says, don't do that. Remember what Christ has done for you. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So you have someone in authority over you who you think isn't treating you well. They are not being good. They are not being gentle to you. And we focus our minds on God who tells us to follow Jesus because Jesus suffered on our behalf. And here is the answer to the problem of evil. Christianity teaches us, the Bible teaches us, that suffering can bring good. We don't like that. Why can't just good bring good? Well, I know the answer to that question. Because when things are going well, you probably won't listen to God. I'd love that not to be true. But when things are going well, you just think things are going well. But when things aren't going well, then you can focus on God. Now, a couple of caveats before we move on. We're almost out of time. Number one, there is nothing in this passage that tells you you can be the unjust boss. Okay, well, I'm the unjust boss, but you know what? They're supposed to grin and bear it. Nope, that's not what this passage is teaching. You are, if you are in authority, you are to do before God what God would require you to do in that position. We just need to remember that. For you, the last verse of the chapter, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Jesus took our sins, and he paid the penalty of those sins so that we could die to sin and live a life of righteousness. Why? Because we were sheep. Now, I don't know about you. Sheep just don't measure real high on the uh, intelligence quote. I don't know what you want to call it. I know some sheep farmer would probably complain about this. But we have this idea that sheep aren't the brightest things in the world, right? I'm sure they're well-trained sheep that do great things. But most of the time, sheep just wander around. We're sheep that have wandered off. And we are in desperate need of a shepherd. And that's what Jesus is. The shepherd and overseer of our soul. Now, We have difficulty with suffering for a variety of reasons. One of which is we have, while we wouldn't ever say it, we have bought into this world's idea about, well, we're just material things. We live in a materialistic age. Matter is all that exists. So you are just, well, just another animal. You're a, Body, and if the body is in pain, you want to stop the pain. And you know what? Stopping pain is a good thing. But biblically, you're not just a body, you're a body and you're a soul. And guess what? The body will suffer. So that the shepherd and overseer of your soul can perfect you into what he wants you to become. Which is being conformed to the image of Christ. So, the start of the lesson is easy. You got an unjust boss, well, you do what he says anyway. Okay? That's the easy part. The hard part comes when the acknowledgement that God can use suffering to accomplish in our lives what he, well, what we would not allow him to accomplish if things were good all the time. Suffering is a difficult topic. Why? Because we don't like it. But guess what? God is accomplishing something. So we keep our minds on God, and we follow in Jesus's steps. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for what Jesus has accomplished for us. I pray, Lord, that we too would learn to walk in his steps. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.